My name is Julie Kraft and I have bipolar 2 disorder. I'm Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with bipolar 2 disorder. I was diagnosed 10 years ago at the age of 36. I was told of my diagnosis and I remember being relieved but also terrified. I know um, the perceptions and the stigma that goes along with it. I started sharing my story about four or five years ago. I decided to come forward and start sharing. It's led to me meeting the most amazing people walking the same path. So we had talked about collaborating. My greatest hope is that others will hear our stories and feel less alone. We can offer insight and give the world a real life living example of what bipolar disorder can look like. This is bipolar. This is Bipolar. Welcome back to This is Bipolar. Uh, we are so excited for today because we haven't been recording in a while. So it's really, really good to be together and um, just continue our story. I'm Shaylee Hugendor. I am a mother, a wife. I'm a substitute teacher. I do event planning. I'm also a woman that lives with bipolar 2 disorder and now a, a mental health advocate. And I am here with Julie to smash stigma by telling our stories. Yes, and I am Julie Kraft. I'm also a wife, a mom, I'm an artist. Uh, I'm also living with bipolar 2 disorder and came forward, starting share, started sharing my journey. Uh, let's see almost five years ago. And so I'm also advocating out there passionately. Um, I've written a memoir and also a children's book about mental health. So just excited that at this point in my life, I can pour myself into smashing stigma, um, sharing my story, hopefully changing the face of bipolar, encouraging others. So super thrilled to be here. And yes, it has been a while since we've recorded. So much going on so excited excited to share a little bit more today yeah yeah we were just chatting before we got on here um where we left off on the la last episode and so i thought i'd do like a quick recap so we were talking about leading up and just the beginning of us reaching out to get help and the reason that we're very excited about this episode is because we hope that it encourages um, people to just reach out and get help because it was the best thing for um, both of us. And even though you will hear um, there's fear and trepidation and um, some wacky times, um, but we are excited to tell the story. And I think that the excited part and the knowing that it's going to um, help someone maybe, or um, that someone can relate, takes over all the, the fear. Um, I talk about how this part right here, going for help is, um, used to be my, my biggest shame story. And I see now the bravery in it and I see the redemption in it and so, here we are, we are going to bear our stories and our souls um, with you today. So yeah. here we and go. I, and I think what's so great is that each of our stories is very different, especially yeah. the getting help part and the getting to a diagnosis. And I think it's so important because um, everybody's story is different, everybody's symptoms. And I think 
everybody's journey to getting help can look very different. So I'm here to share mine. Shaylee's definitely going to share hers. And I, I think this is the episode that I'm most excited to film because I haven't heard a lot of exactly what happened um, in her diagnosis process. So we're just going to share each of our journeys and hopefully our stories meet you wherever you're at today and speak to you and give you encouragement or hope or help eliminate any shame that you might be feeling over where you're at and mm -hmm. in your journey. Yes. And I want to preface it by saying we are both in Canada. We're yeah. in BC and I want to acknowledge that we have the privilege of universal health care. And so this might not look the same for everybody else. And um, I just want to acknowledge where we are and, um, you know, the privileges that we have just because I know that not all of these things are accessible to everybody, but it's our hope and our, our prayer that there are different helps, different ways of getting help in different countries and such. But just in case you're wondering, here we are coming yeah. from Canada, Canadians getting help. So Julie, um, in the last one, we were talking about how you made an appointment with your doctor after things were escalating. Right. And I just want to bring us to that day and maybe how you were feeling, your experiences, and just we're going to talk to leading up to finding out our diagnosis right. when someone said to us. Right. Okay. So a quick recap for anyone that hasn't watched previous episodes, and if you're interested in a more detailed look of what life did look like for each of us um, right from when you know high school years even back to childhood please go back and watch some of the episodes because we spill it all um, embarrassing photos included but um, as far as me uh, anxieties and worries um, just over everything it was crippling that started in my teen years um, right up to the point of me going for help which was the spring of 2010 my marriage was definitely full of ups and downs um, I had an undiagnosed mental health condition and so every day was a struggle I was an angry mom I was lashing out and some of my behavior was very dramatic and so my husband was the one that actually got me to go and get help and I was given an ultimatum you know go and get help for the damage that you are doing not only to the children but our marriage um, you know even my friendships were suffering so there were a few dramatic moments leading up to his breaking point and I actually also stumbled upon um, an online support group that he had joined unbeknownst to me and I had banned him from reaching out for help and so I knew I was struggling I knew I was out of control uh, wasn't able to handle daily life um, my relationships were struggling um, but of course was too proud to reach out for help on my own so it was finally my husband that said you need to get help or we might not make it. And so we went and what we did, we made an appointment with our family doctor. And so up here in Canada, we basically have a doctor that you would take your kids to, or you would go to if you know, you've know you got something that's worrying you about your health. And so that appointment was made. Um, my husband insisted on coming with me. I did not like that. I kind of felt like he was maybe babysitting me, wanted to see what I would say. And so begrudgingly, I did go to the doctor. I think at that point, I knew things were serious. Um, I believed him. I believed him when he said that he wasn't going to, you know, mm. let the kids stay in that situation. And so 
I never, never thought he would get to that point, but I think I knew it was time to get help. So I didn't want to go get help. I Yeah, thought, I have a question about that. Did you feel like, uh, I'm trying to picture you going in, did you feel kind of bitter in your head? Yes. <laughs> were, you, were you like, I'm not going to reveal it all? Like what kind of thoughts were going through your head or you knew that you needed to do this to save your marriage. I'm just kind of wondering the thoughts yeah. going through your head. Did you even believe that? I, yes. I, all of those thoughts, Shaylee, you hit the nail on the head so many times. I was bitter, angry, mad, embarrassed, um, proud, uh, a lot of fear in there of what was going to happen. And I, you know, I think back, if it was up to me, if I wasn't married, didn't have children, I honestly do not believe I ever would have reached out for help. I would still be struggling, still be, you know, trying to manage life, wear the mask out in public, crumbling behind the scenes. And so I'm so thankful, even though all those feelings were swirling. And yeah, I, I wanted to be anywhere but headed to the doctor that day, um, despite knowing how hard things were. And knowing that, you know, this wasn't the way that life needed to be. And so, you know, we went to the doctor and it happened to be that that day there was an intern working and I owe her so much because we sat down. I shared a lot, but Shaylee, you're also right when you say, did you hold a bit back? Of course I hid a bit back. Um, but I shared enough that she looked at me. And I don't know how she called it, but you know, I'm so thankful for her, but she said, from everything I'm hearing, it looks like you might have bipolar two disorder. Mic drop, I think <laughs> the world stopped turning, but at that point she only, it was only a thought, but that was the first, Ugh! and she said, and, and sorry, it's so emotional, my camera, <laughs> it's an earthquake in my life. Um, she said, and I just want you to know that whatever it is, it's going to be okay. And so she then gave me a referral to see a psychiatrist. Wow. Wow. For her to, that's so it, amazing and so um, surprising to me because we talk about this, yeah. as, um, you know, maybe because it was fresh in her mind or that yeah. she was studying it, but generally like your doctor is a general practitioner. And I kind yeah. of think of it as me as a teacher on call. Yeah. I can't know the curriculum from K to seven, um, all of it, right? right. I just right. know how to teach and I'll find the information and do so. And so um, we can't blame our, you know, some of our family doctors that aren't as well versed in in mental health so i am so like you i'm so grateful me um, too her, but and also me, encourage people to keep going yes and to share everything share more than you want to because i think every little piece of information every symptom we can offer up is a clue but there is a very very interesting reason why she was able to make such a an accurate prediction um, and you're you're which, totally right about t saying everything because sometimes we go in there and i don't know about you but i dress very nicely oh <laughs> my goodness right Just so wait <laughs> until you hear about going to see the psychiatrist yes because oh, i want to hear should i spill on that right now <laughs> i'm in okay so 
Yes, and I think I had mentioned the fear earlier. There's just this fear, what we see in movies, and I was afraid if I divulged too much that my children would be taken away or I would be immediately admitted to a psychiatric ward. And of course, all of those stigma, all of those stereotypes came into my mind. And so I just left that appointment with a very relieved husband. I think I think back now and I can't even imagine um, the hope and relief he would have felt in that moment that at least I was taking the steps that he had probably been hoping and praying for me to take uh, for years and years and years. And so I left that appointment that day with a little white slip, a referral to uh, the psychiatric department at our one of our universities and oh, the weight that that piece of paper held. And so eventually that appointment came. I think it was only a few weeks away. Thank goodness. I know, you know, that's not always the wait time, but that day I really did uh, felt all of those same feelings, but I felt like I did need to put my best face forward. I dressed up to the nines, skirt, blouse, heels, which still to this day, I can barely, you know, wobble around in. And I just thought, yeah, I needed to, in every way I could, try to make myself feel like I was okay as a person. I, you know, had my life together, but I think to go in in front of another adult as a grown adult and, you know, admit to embarrassing things you've done, you know, that some days it was a struggle just to get out of bed and brush my teeth. That's not easy to do. And looking back now, I know that that was all part of just me getting to a place of getting well and being the best version of myself. But I know in that moment, it's terrifying. And so I insisted on going myself. I pulled up my big girl panties <laughs> and drove myself. Even driving was an issue, a great source of stress. So I got myself to my appointment and, you know, even heading up the elevator. I just, the self-talk was just racing. I'm a good person. I have my act together. I felt like everyone that stepped in the elevator knew you are headed towards a mental illness <laughs> diagnosis. Oh, you know, I hit the floor of the psychiatric, you know, and I just thought, oh, they know exactly what's going on. And so just all of those feelings. And so that appointment was not easy. I won't sugarcoat it. Number one, I didn't want to be there, but number two, rightfully so, I needed to be asked and probed um, with questions. Um, just, you know, we needed to go through family history, um, which I will sneak in there. It's so important now that I have a diagnosis so that if anyone down the road in my family needs to go through the same process, they can they will be able to say, you know, I, I have a relative that has a bipolar two diagnosis. And even that, that is a huge clue. Family history is, is a big part of what doctors or psychiatrists will look at. And so, yes, questions, everything from, you know, my sex life to self-injury to uh, you name it, um, I was asked. And for the most part, 99.1%, I told the truth. And I think my advice to anyone is spill it. That's the time and that's the place. Try to remember doctors are there to help us. Um, and so for the most part, you know, if some of my answers generated uh, a different response or if I needed more immediate help, I, I need to look back and I now know that that might've very well been the best, might've been the best thing for me in that moment. So that appointment, I would say it was about an hour and 
question, oh, question, yes. question. I, I need to know this. Ah. What, I was just thinking, what, what would, do you remember what was the hardest question for you to answer? Yes, uh, I believe it was, have you ever hurt your children? Wow. And, you know, being totally honest, I've never hurt my children, not physically, but I would get so frustrated that I would, you know, punch a car window and then of course like, immediately feel regret and shame. But I think sometimes, I think you had mentioned this in an early episode, there's so much frustration, there's so much pent up, you know, anger at myself mostly, that sometimes doing that dramatic thing is the only way for us to express that, not that it's the healthiest way. So yes, and I have probably thrown a dish in the sink harder than I should have at some point, but that was the hardest one for me. And then also about suicidal thoughts. And uh, I lied on that one. I do not get a prize for lying, but that one I thought if I answer that truthfully, and the truth is that yes, in some moments life was such a struggle that I never went as far as to go down a path of, you know, making a plan or anything like that. But I definitely did think, you know, if this is how hard the rest of my life is going to be, oh, how overwhelming that would be. And so thank goodness those moments were few and far between, always outweighed by, you know, all of the things that I would miss and that I love about my life and feelings are temporary and they would change. But I did think that if I had answered yes to any question that revolved around suicide, that I would be immediately taken away my whole life would crumble. The neighborhood would find out. I think that a lot of people um, can relate to that. And I think the difference is um, that I'm realizing is suicidal ideation and thoughts is a lot different than having a plan um, and, you know, wanting to, to hurt yourself um, so badly that you can't, can't be alone. And I think um, what we don't realize is that many people have that and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to automatically have to be hospitalized. If you do, there is no shame in that either. There's exactly. No yeah. shame. I just think that um, a lot of us are so afraid to even say that and that is a part of the, the shame and the stigma that I hope that, you know, we can just get rid of because... Yeah. Yes. people need need to share that right even you saying that right now I can feel myself just welling up with tears because I think there is so much shame that you just think I could never admit that that's yeah. horrible you know or you think you know my life is what on earth would I ever feel a feeling like that for and so for you to just validate that and say you know it's more common than we think and it's time to start talking more about it. That that's a gift. So thank you. Oh, yeah. And doing this podcast blog is just as helpful for me and, you know, meeting Shaylee and connecting with her a few years ago. That's one of the best parts of a result of going to get help, getting that diagnosis. If that hadn't happened, this wouldn't be happening. Right. <laughs> So there's our little fuzzy side note. <laughs> but back to my appointment, I left that day feeling raw. So if anyone's out there that's at that stage of being diagnosed and you've got that appointment, best advice, don't cancel it, keep it, 
go be honest and then just be prepared. Don't, you know, set yourself up to host a dinner for 29 people that evening. Just know that sharing this stuff is hard and it's emotional. It's draining physically and emotionally. And um, just know too, that you're doing the wisest, strongest, bravest thing that you might ever do in your life. And so huge encouragement. So that was what my psychiatrist visit looked like. But I have been rambling and I am just so ready to hear your story. I think you might even need to give me a quick recap of, you know, the lead up um, and then what happened in your process. Very different from mine and so important for people to hear. So the mic is yours. (laughs) Are you ready? Strap in. Here we go. Yes. So to recap, in our last episode, we talked about how um, I needed to go to emergency. I hadn't slept more than two hours in in weeks, and I my felt life um, was out of control, and I was barely holding it together um, with the rest of my life. I could take care of my children. I had a four and a six year old, um, and I could look very excited and hyper but not um completely abnormal on the outside but it was starting to unravel i was having a hard time hiding it anymore and it for me it was mostly um what got me to emerge was the not sleeping and we know that with bipolar disorder one or two sleep is huge and so i yeah, in that moment, I literally felt like if I don't sleep more than two hours, uh, like I might actually, might actually die. And not in terms of suicide, but I thought like maybe my body will stop working altogether, right? Like I just, I had this fear and I woke up my husband, it was probably like one or two and we went and I don't know if I got past the emergency room, in my story before so I'll start there so I'm in the emergency room and we have to wait um uh obviously to talk to a a psychiatrist so I don't know how long the wait was but um we went in and what surprised me at first was that we um needed to be interviewed separate and then together me and my husband um, I don't know which which was first, but I remember being confused, and I totally get it now yeah, because yeah. you know we don't know if there's abuse in there. We don't know. Uh, I really appreciated that because I think it would have been harder to hear um, what what he was seeing, um, and then to see if our our stories line up, right? Because right. And I'm just gonna ask you yes. too, your frame of mind now heading to emergency. Yeah. Were you like, I'm all good? I don't need to go. Were you uh, desperately no. wanting to get sleep? Were you no. fearful? Was it a mixture of those emotions? I think I was so far and into it and so scared mm-hmm. that, um, no, it was all me. It was like, you need to take me to emergency now. Wait, wow. we can't wait till the morning. Like we need to go now. I need to sleep tonight. My hope was to just like my thought is i'll explain it and they'll give me a valium or xanax or whichever one makes you sleep and that was that but thinking clearly they obviously don't just give valium to a very hyper disheveled they're gonna do a little more digging on that (laughs) a little more detail right but i think deep down and i don't know if i told my husband or i don't because i don't remember a lot of um 
except for the really bizarre things. I don't remember a lot of things I said, but I think I knew in that moment and in the hospital when I was telling um, the psychiatrist, like, this has been as long as I can remember. Like, I need to get better. I have gotten, because unlike you, I'd gone to the doctor before, but only in Japan. Oh, you had. Yeah, I had been on medication before. I had been, but never understanding that hypomania wasn't truly me. I have a, a high right. level as it is, but it goes through the roof, right? And so I had reached out for help because my depressions are bad. Right. So, but so then that that's all they see. So something to do if you even think you have a mood disorder is get followed for a while. Yes, you had mentioned that in our previous episode, how important it is to not just give a snippet of what the last week or three weeks, but yes, keep a journal or keep track. And, you know, like, like I mentioned, they're all clues that all meant to just get you to a proper diagnosis. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that are misdiagnosed more than one time with just the anxiety, just the depression. And yes, mania can look a thousand different ways depending on our personalities so yeah all right i'm i'm in keep sharing yeah. and i had gone to like i had been to a naturopath i had been to a doctor i'd taken antidepressants wow. i bought a sad lamp i did all the things but i did it didn't click to me that the other side right. was was hypomania that i wasn't supposed to feel like that and the good feelings outweighed the anxiety until it didn't yeah because my anxiety it, it wasn't what I thought anxiety was, according to TV and things and, and other things. I thought it was like being scared of a lot of things. Yeah. And mine w- wasn't really that. Um, so what was yours? I'm just curious because well, I'm the yeah. one with anxiety about the driving and the yeah. phone calls and the daily life type of yeah. thing. Which sometimes, sometimes with driving, if it's brand new and parking, but mostly yeah. because I have scraped poles before and such, but <laughs> more like, <laughs> more like catastrophic thinking in that I could go from, um, I get very indecisive. And so I could go from trying to decide what to feed my kids um, to the fat, I would jump to um, almost near the end. I was like, if I don't feed them organic food, I'm a terrible parent and they're probably going to have huge health issues, things like that. So it yeah. isn't things, yeah, it wasn't like accidents or, or um, people dying or things like that. It was more like I could take an everyday scenario and not be able to make a choice and then get to some uh, wild thing in a really short period of time. Right. Which would, like, paralyzed me which made the internal thoughts like and so I would try and make everything safe or try and do all the best things or I would have backup plans for everything um, to get praised for because you're organized right but really if anything went wrong and as we know in life you can't plan for everything I would blame myself like why didn't you think of that like what an idiot like you forgot the an extra outfit for your baby and they spit up everywhere way to go like if you were a good mom you would have thought of that like you are a failure i don't even know why they let you take care of this baby right it's like i forgot a sleeper <laughs> it would it, it, that that's kind of how it worked for me right um, okay yeah rather than just yeah 
they would just be like that. And that's why it would be hard. That's why nighttime was so hard, not just because I was sleeping, but because those thoughts and because I was so far gone in the, in the hypomania that everything, every choice, right? So I would sit through and I got stuck on a couple of those nights thinking about teenage things or old relationships or as I had mentioned before I had a broken engagement or lots of things that made me feel like um, and I would get sometimes you know lose friendships when I wasn't the fun hyper one when I would be in the depression people wouldn't want to hang out with me right so I have this like deep wound of of belonging and abandonment right Right. so I would think about that every night like just over and over And then, so you had mentioned, oh, wise one, you had gone to the doctor seeking help. I'm just curious, did you come out of any of those doctor appointments um, with a diagnosis or did they simply just give you medication, treat it as situational? Yeah, Yeah, I had several diagnoses. So definitely the depression. So I'd taken antidepressants, but they didn't help. We know now antidepressants don't help with bipolar and in fact, and trigger you to rapid cycle. Yeah, yeah. Took um, another medication that was supposed to help with depression and a bit of anxiety. And this medication was actually the one that led to, to this because we kept upping this medication and um, that's what it started rapid cycling. And that's how I got stuck where I was wow. and and, induced this, by that. and I think this is just another reason why it's so important to give all of the clues we can to the doctors to get to a proper diagnosis because right. as you just mentioned different medications can have adverse effects if you have a misdiagnosis yet have bipolar and are given the wrong medication so uh there's just for me just this common theme of getting to that proper diagnosis which we both we're at that place right now but it's yeah. definitely been different roads to get to so yeah. i just want to say Yay for you for noticing that you were struggling and, and attempting to get help. What you know, it didn't unfortunately get you to the proper diagnosis until much later, but at least there was enough yeah. Yeah. of you to realize you needed to at least try to get to that diagnosis. Right? Believe All right, me. I'm I'm in. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. I think I always had this teeny seed of hope. And I don't know if if it comes from my faith or or I don't know, but there was always a seed of hope that, or always an understanding that this could be better. Because yeah. I would see other people living lives and I, this could be different for me, but I didn't know how. And I didn't always believe that. I would think it was my lot in life at the worst times, but I think there was always a, a, a seed. Right. And so, um, yeah, so I'm there, they're answering all the questions um for it felt like a very very long time um yeah and the reason we had upped this medication is because when i was depressed this medication worked it was the first winter that i didn't feel it and fortunately when i switched in the spring because i'm very cyclical Mm -hmm. um the medication did not work (laughs) and went the opposite so that's that's where i'm at um and so we talked you know they realized okay she does need to sleep Um, she has both her and her husband have agreed to come back the next day and follow this up. Um, and so, and they knew that he was, you know, for lack of a better word, like caring for me Yeah. and that things at home were stable. So, um, yeah, they did give me, um, Valium 
and I went home and I took it and I slept something like 15 hours and I wow. did not, I legit did not even, and I'm a dreamer. I don't like I'm blacked out and it was exactly what I needed. Right. And I'm just going to quickly, I, this is a question I would have yeah. very, very detailed when you went to emergency. I'm just curious. What did you say? at the admitting desk when they said, why are you here? I just, I, I've always wondered this. Yeah. If you are in a mental health crisis or at a place where you've gone, um, what, what do you say when you get up to the desk? Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, so I think it was me. I should double check with my husband, but I think it was me. And I just went up and be like, I was like, I am not okay. I haven't slept in this long. You know, I kind of focused more on the sleep, but I did also right. say I'm on medication for anxiety and I don't know if that's what's not making me sleep, right? And I had my husband there in case I wasn't making sense because I know I was speaking quite rapidly, but right. I could still, like I wasn't for now, I know I was borderline hypomanic psychosis, but I wasn't there yet. Yeah, bring someone, 100% bring someone because you can't see every thing that's going on and I think too um because I had past experience I was um okay to to mention that if you can't I've known people that have written it down because it's too hard to say out loud or you think that there's someone around or I've also had someone get their loved one to write it down because sometimes that's too much right so the that's more advice you have that's good advice yeah yeah because then you don't because you know how sometimes you feel like that everyone around you knows why you're there, like you were yeah. saying, right? Or like in Emerge, they might be able to hear. Um, but I really was focusing on the sleep part because I really thought if I could get some sleep that I, I possibly could get it back together because I had managed it for so long. And honestly, like one thing I want to say, and I think we're probably going to cover this on a future episode, but there were many days where I was just fine. Yeah. Like, for, I, I can only speak to my lived experience, but I was not always up or always down. And I don't know if that's like that for everyone, but on TV, it shows you're either extreme. And sometimes I was just in the in, the in-betweens. I, I just regular, everyday, boring, right? And I have I, the same experience, yeah. 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 yeah, but not then, not when I was getting help. So, <laughs> I go home, I sleep, I get up like literally just before the appointment and I go. And in the meantime, um, you know, my husband has let my mom know who was actually in Ontario for a wedding um, just in case, cause she's yeah. a really good help to us. So just in case he might need her. And so we went and I'm telling them the things. And at this point I have decided, and when I make a choice, I'm like, all in warrior fighter girl i have made a choice that i am getting help like i am not leaving or i am not going to stop without a next step or more than a couple next steps i just once i had that clarity after sleeping a bit of clarity but still waking up with that in my chest and knowing that it was probably just the medication that i might be in the same position the following and so i showed up and i just was like here is my history every year this happens and this happens and i just just all came out because i was just like uh, i don't have i i really felt like i didn't have a choice and i think that's the one thing that helped me the mania actually helped me get help because you're a little 
less fearless and you're a bit more bold and I have zero filter. I couldn't have lied (laughs) if you tried. That's amazing. That's so great. (laughs) But I, like you, the, are you a harm to others or yourself or others was a hard question. My, I felt like my heart stopped. I felt like this, I absolutely said no, because in the moment it wasn't. I realize now um, that looking back that in my depressions, when I wanted to sleep or disappear for a bit until it was better, um, if I had depression always forever, not knowing there was going to be a switch, yeah. I think it could have been, yeah. I could have had more thoughts. So I had said no at that time, but I did mention like when I'm depressed, I want to sleep until like, I don't want to engage in life like that. Yeah. And so like you, that was the hardest question because that just makes you think of, of all the horror stories of TV. And at that point, if they would have said that I needed to stay, I actually was willing at that point because I had made up my mind. And if that's what it took, because I had been, like I said, I did all the other things. So I didn't feel like there was any other choices, which is a really sad thing, which is why as mental health advocates were, um, fighting for not just stigma, but for also policy changes and, um, you know, things with, with doctors and accessibility, because you shouldn't have to go to emergency. I mean, you, obviously there are times, but there should have, I didn't feel like there was another choice. So I was okay with that. I, I wasn't, I, I just didn't have space in my head to think about the shame that would go along with it or judgment or people. I was so in the zone that uh, there is a better life and I want it. Yeah. And was your husband with you during this time for this yeah. the second of, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because by then they had talked to him forever. So they trusted him and our stories were like lining up, but he had yeah. a bit more information, that kind of thing. And so, so he was there and, um, when you so you go back into emerge and then you ask about your appointment but i don't remember getting like the whole process getting there but the i did have to go to the psych floor but you're not in like admitted right you're there so the way how was that <laughs> okay so i don't remember going up there and i don't remember fear and da, 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 but i remember the where you had to wait was a legit room and i remember looking up And I remember that there was a camera there. And then I remember looking around and being like, the walls are a little bit different. And what I think now was probably, they were probably padded, right? But otherwise it's set up like a doctor's office where you have the thing with the paper that you sit on in another chair. Um, So, you know, that's the only difference. But once I realized that I, cause I was fidgeting and walking around, like I couldn't really sit still. and then I remember like I would mess up that paper and then I'd try and make it smooth so I didn't look like I was crazy, like all the things, right? I and know. Did you almost, you start second guessing, you know, I need to appear normal and in control. I mean, I even have those feelings when I go to pick up my bipolar medication now, you know, I need right? to overcompensate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know, like, I, I didn't know, were they videotaping me? Should I be acting a certain way? All that kind of stuff. In hindsight, I don't think, like, they're not going to use, the, film someone that's, like, come into, I don't think they did. And if they did, whatever. Yeah. Uh, whatever they need to use, right? Right. right. And so, um, 
so then I, I don't really remember talking too, too much to the doctor, but a little bit, but they're saying, you know, like you're, you have support, you're in a safe um, place. Um, you know, we're just trying to see next steps, but um, you know, we don't think that you need to, to stay or be admitted. And I remember in that moment, it surprises me now, but not feeling relief. I remember thinking, awesome you like in a negative way uh, yeah. you can't you're not even uh, uh, ill enough to go into the mental health ward you're not like you are failing you are even failing at being uh, mentally ill and then also thinking like well if they don't think it's that bad like am i exaggerating is this you know starting to second guess things and i just but i was like well I, I think I said, I don't know if I want to leave. Like, how am I, yeah. like, how am I going to ensure that you're going to get me help? I, you can't just send me home. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And so they were like, I don't remember if they're like, wait here or what, but then I found us, we're alone again. And that was when I needed a hair tie and went to the, I listened to the hair tie in the last episode, but they're calling and making me wait but being kind of not secretive but not really telling me much but we're like okay um and then they came and said listen there is this place called crest community residential emergencies short stay i don't know sounds good yeah, maybe <laughs> i don't know i call it toothpaste crazy town right and yeah. <laughs> i mean that in the most loving way yeah yeah um and they said, you know, there never is, but there's a, a room there and you can leave anytime. But he said, honestly, I don't think you need to stay away from home, but this is the best option for you only because she, the woman there is the best psychiatrist. Aww. She is the best and she will get down to it. So if you're willing, you know, would you go there? Also, we realize this medication that you're on is not for you. It is, it has caused this. So you will have to wean off it and most likely go on a different medication. And we don't know what those reactions will be. And I think that solidified for me. Yeah. I'm going because I have a four and six year old. And if I'm like, you know, I was picturing like drug withdrawal, which I didn't get it. Maybe other people could, I don't know. Um, but I was, I was like, my children don't need to see this. They need to see their mom going away and coming, uh, you know, and also I was like, if he says this is my best choice, and if that's just focused, like say I go over there for a couple of days and I'm fixed, right? That's what I just kept hoping yeah. for. Yeah. So take the, I go home, I pack up. I even packed. Is that immediate? You were able to head um, there right that away. That afternoon, yeah. Um, so I packed up and I even brought like, I was like, what am I going to do there? Because I'm like so hyper and I'll get, so I brought like my scrapbooking kit. I love scrapbooking. <laughs> Two. I, I had like, I looked, I looked like I was going on a haul. Like I had suitcases. My husband, he was probably like. And I'm just curious. Um, what do you think was going through your husband's mind at this point? The same, just for relief. Um, the hope for answers. Um, for my husband. Um, I think from what we've ever discussed is I think a teeny bit of hope, but I think he was scared, but all I saw was hope and like, yeah. he didn't show me any of that fear, but like, can you imagine like I'm a stay at home mom? I run the household. I'm yeah. 
beyond organized on most days, even though it with hypomania that doesn't really come with it. I'm like, I call it organized chaos, but yeah. <laughs> I got stuff done. Right. And so he's probably thinking about that. Yeah. Um, but I think he was as committed to me and I think he just saw how determined I was Yeah. that he was going. So I think I thought two things. I thought I'm not going to be there long because, you know, I, I knew that I could still um, function in everyday life. Not well, but I could. I was like, I am there and I'm going to get a diagnosis. And then also like four and six year old. Yeah, I was kind of thinking this. Break, <laughs> right. And I knew I had like my own room. It's like it's like a building like with a common area there's a tv room like it's not a scary place you can come and go as you please so there's morning meetings and you get your chores wow. and and that kind of thing and honestly i loved the people there i it was a place that i didn't have to hide anything yeah. like we were all it, it's a short straight it's short stay so it's like you're in crisis and they're just trying to get you stabilized right so you know there's someone in there with really bad postpartum depression there's depression there's eating disorder there's there's all of the things but we don't have to hide any of it yeah right yeah. and i think i was like you are my people um and so i'm there and i didn't say how long i could stay i didn't know anything i just knew i was there I knew I was going to be a little bit observed. I think I was a little paranoid that I was always observed because I thought like this little light. Cameras, camera. <laughs> but it was like the smoke detector I figured out the next day, right? So um, yeah, I was there and I, I loved the psychiatrist, um, but she only comes in like, I think a couple times a week. So you have your allotted time. So I think that's when I got a little scared knowing that I definitely wasn't going to see her more than like just once. And it was going to be days till she came back. So right. that part I got scared, but, um, and because even with the medication, I, I was still not like I was sleeping like five or six hours, but that's a lot of hours in the day to fill. And they don't, besides like yeah. chores and meals, you don't, you can do whatever you want, right? And, and then um, did you meet and get the barrage of questions like I did? Yeah, yeah. So that started at the hospital and then she re-asked all of those as well. So um, yeah, there I am. Um, I'm in, in this short stay treatment place and, and the kids could, and my husband could visit. And, and oh. I wanted to spend as much time in the building at first as I could only because I wanted, like, I was like, everybody watch for like, find out. I thought the faster I thought maybe they would see how I was interacting and how is this, right. but um, in Shaley's style, I became like the <laughs> household coordinator of recreational activities. I needed something to organize and something to do. So I remember I was really obsessed with So You Think You Can Dance. So I wrote everybody a note and slipped it under their door, like eight o'clock, come to the room, let's watch So You Think You Can Dance together. So they did. And it was just, and I laugh only because it's like a survival thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
that, um, but there would be, you know, some of us were like, I was like glued in and be like, did you see that? Or, oh my God, I was crying with our ones. And then we had, you know, people that couldn't sit still. And then, um, you know, the woman with the eating disorder was exercising while we were doing it. Um, cause she exercised a lot and the one with postpartum was there, but she was on the phone trying to get, you know, she had to organize breastfeeding her baby in oh, wow. all that back and forth. So there was all these things going on. So that a little bit, might have looked like TV, but it was, I don't know, I think it was beautiful. We were all yeah. working through our stuff and all, um, you know, being ourselves. And I wanted to hear everyone's stories. So I tried to hang out with everyone. Right. And as a very private, introverted person, I think I would have hesitation, you know, are they going to throw me in group therapy? Am I going to need to bare my soul? You know, I, I'm sure that maybe some people would have fear and trepidation over the fact of, you know, being with a group of other people mm. and having to interact. But really when you meet other people and you're in that space of yeah. being able to be vulnerable, it really is where you form some deep connections. Have you stayed in touch with anyone or was that just a little blip in time and too short to establish uh, connections? So, um, uh, we, I tried, but we didn't, although I ran into someone two years ago, it took me really? a minute, but one of the, the, the people that we just, we, we were both kind of manic. So we just thought everything was hilarious. And so <laughs> we had watched like Degrassi together, all the stuff I saw him. Um, but I didn't, we didn't really keep in contact. I wanted to yeah. keep in contact one of the yeah. workers, yeah. but they're not allowed. But right. I met him at a Starbucks once, and he was the one that, um, get to it later, told me, like, you actually don't belong here. You need to, it's time kind of thing yeah. to, to go home. And I'm also curious, yeah. during this time, has the word bipolar come up, either in your own mind or been mentioned? No, not yet. So, um I remember maybe like mood disorder, but I was right. confused. And this is a time, they don't take your phones, but this is a time when it wasn't phone time. Like this was 2010 and I had a flip phone. And if I wanted to text someone, I had to do like press number one, three times to get to the letter C. Do you know what wow. I mean? There wow, wow, like, yes. And I had pay as you go. So I couldn't really call like my mom or long distance because I, I didn't have a plan. So I didn't, yeah. I wasn't connected to the outside world besides like the TV shows. And so, right, right. Um, yeah, so mood disorder was, was mentioned. And then yeah. let's flip back to you. And then I'll tell you when I heard the word. Sure, sure. All right. What would you like to know? <laughs> so you've been to the psychiatrist's office. Yeah. He doesn't say anything then, right? He's just nope. asking you questions, evaluating, and you leave not knowing. How did you feel when you were leaving the office? Well, just exhausted, but, you know, the initial doctor uh, had said the word bipolar, um, and I knew there was depression and anxiety, and I also thought in there maybe schizophrenia, yeah. so... I just felt raw and I, I knew, I knew something was coming. I knew there was a diagnosis coming and I knew that the follow-up would be back at my family doctor. And so just, just a flurry of emotions. And I will say at this point, probably a tiny bit of relief because at this point, 
I've been asked all the questions. Um, it was what it was. And I think there was a part of me that was a little bit curious. Let's find out. Is it bipolar? Didn't like the word, didn't want to have bipolar disorder. But, you know, I think like you, there was a part of me that said, let's get to the bottom of this, find out what it is. And if it has a name, give me the name and then let's move forward. So yes, left that appointment knowing that my fate <laughs> and my diagnosis was in the psychiatrist's notebook. And so then um, just went home and waited for that next appointment. So that I'm dumb. How long was it? How long was the wait? I think it was only about another another week or two. So I think from the first visit to my family doctor to receiving the diagnosis was probably about a month in wow. total. Which can seem long when you're not. Which can up. seem long, but maybe just fine if you are not really wanting to maybe hear those words. Because at that time for me, bipolar had a very negative, scary connotation. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, and that's, there are <laughs> a million reactions to actually receiving that diagnosis, but that is the total lead up in my story to getting to that moment where I actually had a doctor look me in the face and say for that very first time, you have bipolar two disorder. Yeah. So you went in and they said, we got the results, Julie, you know, this yep. is what you have. And it was the same intern. And I now know why she was so attuned to what it might be earlier. Um, she said, you have bipolar two disorder. Ah, it's emotional. And then she looked at me and she said, and I want you to know that um, my father has bipolar two disorder and he is one of the kindest, most caring, sensitive, creative people that I know and it's going to be okay. And so it all made sense. And you know what? I know I needed to hear that in that moment. Um, it didn't make everything all better in that moment. But, you know, in those initial moments after, of course, there's shock, there's fear, there's shame, embarrassment, denial. Um, but hearing her say that just took a little bit of the edge off of all those other feelings. And I really do look back and I don't think it's coincidence that the intern was interning at that time yeah. and that she was the one to tell me that news because even in her saying that gave me that little glimmer of hope that yeah. this really might be okay. And this might not be the end, but the beginning of the next chapter. Yeah. And so was your husband there? He was there. He was there. I let him come again. And I, I think I needed him to be there at that point. And yeah, that really is the moment that the next part of this journey began. It, it hasn't been perfect. There have definitely been ups and downs, but that was the moment that I was given, you know, a reason and an answer as to why life had been such a struggle. And I really do look at that as day one of the rest of my life in terms of getting to a place of managing my bipolar disorder, understanding it, connecting with others and getting to today. And it's been quite a journey as I'm sure your journey has been, but that was, that was how I found out. That's when I heard the words, but for you, when, 
when did you actually hear the word, Shaylee, you have bipolar two disorder? Yeah, so um, I stayed for, uh, I think like six or seven days. Wow. Um, I walked, it's in New Westminster and you know, I don't know, people know that, but there's a lot of hills. I walked every hill, like I would go for a walk and I th thought I was gone three hours and I it would be 45 minutes. Like the time did not go by fast. I did do wow. some scrapbooking, but it was really weird. It's like I was processing all my past small T trauma. So it would be a weird, they were, I wouldn't show them to a lot of people. Um, but I had some people visit and then I started going home for most of the day and then coming back. Okay. And then um, that was when the person that I love to talk to was like, you know what, um, you're much more, much like very stable. This is a place for, for this. Um, you know, or not you're very stable, but like you're on your way. I like, you don't need to be here. You can right. do steps. And, but I was like, but how I'm not supposed to see her for like three or four days. And he told me, um, you know, write a letter. And so I wrote her a letter um, about all the reasons, you know, and support I had and how I was committed to, to getting help. And um, you would have to go every night and morning to take your medication, like in a room and they'd write it down. Um, so that part felt kind of, mm, but I didn't care. I wanted to take the new medication. So, and they had told me like, it's going to take a while because you can't just stop this one and start this one. And, and so, um, you know, I was like, I'm committed to this. And I explained that I understood all my medication and what they were for, right? Because I wanted, they want to know. And at this point, do you think they were switching and getting you onto a medication that they, yeah, yeah, bipolar? But I do not remember them except for saying mood disorder. I don't remember um, bipolar. So I have this letter. I know it's not my day, but I park myself outside the office waiting. I was not going to leave because she has to leave through that door. So I was waiting with my letter. <laughs> just hoping that she'd see me because otherwise I didn't want, like I, I didn't want, you could leave at any time, but I didn't want to end like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to hear like what she all thought because she is writing lots of things. Right. And so she, I go in, she says, you know, do you want to read your letter? And so I read the letter and I was oh. super confident and, um, yeah. So she also then started saying, I said, so is there, you know, I was like, is there a name for this? Cause she kept referring to it as a mood disorder. And I think she was easing me in. Do you know what I mean? And because I wasn't fully like medication stable, but I was functioning stable. I don't know if that makes sense, but I still wasn't quite, I was still pretty, um, you know, up there, but manageable. And, and especially I probably realized now my husband was probably telling them how the day went. Right. He would talk yeah. to them when he went in. I think he would check in. So he was saying like, yeah, she's managing, she's helping take care of the kids. My mom was there, but, um, so, and then she said it is, you know, it your specific mood disorder we think it is bipolar and I just wanted to go and I was totally, uh, I don't actually remember it being a moment, a big moment. I don't remember wow. it being a big moment. And in fact, um, I, there was one point where I was like a couple months later, I was doubting it or whatever. And I demanded my entire file. So they had to do it. So I went and got, got my file. And that was the first time I had seen the two. 
I didn't know. Yeah. So interesting. She might have explained it all. Right. I only took in mood disorder. And I think that was a all my brain could handle, like all I could handle was yeah. the word mood disorder. And it took me a very long time to claim the other word. And yeah. I wouldn't look up anything. And I know everyone says knowledge is power, but I was too scared. I was like, I'm just going to do the next right little step for me because this is too much. It's too much for me. And I cannot Google this. Yeah. I was, I was the same. Really? Yeah. It, it, and you know, I I will go, we will, we'll both go into our initial reactions and everything from our reaction to the actual word to next steps, course of treatment, medication, no medication, telling our loved ones, um, probably 50,000 episodes just in that, but there are so many um, parts of receiving a diagnosis, but interesting that you did mention the word mood disorder, and you know, I heard the word bipolar, and I've now come to a place where I do tell people, you know, whatever that word happens to be, whatever the name of that disorder is, just to view it as, you know, forget the word. There was a period of time where I didn't even want to, I wish it was not even named bipolar, but just to view whatever that term, whatever that, you know, diagnosis on the paper is, it is simply a name that it's been given. Thank goodness to be able to walk away with a name and something to, when the time is right, research and dig into or you know to be able to use to connect to other people with the same diagnosis it's just simply simply um you know a very very positive thing no matter what the word happens to be but yes um interesting that i i didn't want to research at that time but yes it's definitely been a journey of acceptance we've both had now a decade of walking a path of getting a diagnosis and uh, what life can look like on the other side of that. And so I think we're both excited to get into that in um, going forward. Yeah. And I think if there's anything um, we could leave you with is that we, we know that if you're not, haven't gotten help that you're scared and we know it's terrifying and we know that we're also uncomfortably comfortable if we've lived with this for years. And I would just ask you to consider what life could be like with, with help and with treatment. And I just ask you to consider that it doesn't have to, to be, it doesn't have to be like it is and that you deserve to feel better. You deserve to feel better and you don't need to struggle. And it, it may, it's a hard, long road. I am not going to lie, but it is so worth it because there, there is something on the other side. And my biggest hope, and I know I can say this for Julie too, is just is start in baby steps. If you have to tell one person, tell one person today and the next person. And if that person's not safe and doesn't help the next person. And I just, um, we just believe in in medical care, and as scary as the diagnosis is, we're going to be talking in next episodes um, how hard it is, but also that the freedom in that. And so, Absolutely. 
we just want to thank you so much for listening and just thank you for holding our story safe um we know that with our listeners that um that you keep our our story safe um by listening and trying to understand and so that was another episode of this is bipolar 